Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? Welcome to So Many White Guys from WNYC Studios. I'm here with you for one more day, and I'm your host, Phoebe to the Lynn to the Robinson Boo Boos. Another day, another fat-ass podcast dollar. I'm just raking in money over here, over there, everywhere, motherfuckers. Yeah, I mean, it'd be helpful for me if I could also see some dollars. Anyway, with me as always is my rich and personality producer, Joanna Salatarov. Hi, it's so good to be back. I'm so glad you are back. Thank you, and I'm very excited for today's interview with Nanachka Khan. Yes, yes, she's adorable, talented, smart, has such, like, delicious skin. But we got to talk about something that's, like, really important. This is, like, kind of, like, breaking news. So, like, we need to talk about this first. Oh, okay. So when's the first time you learned about sex? Like, how did you find out about it? So I remember seeing stuff in movies and on TV. But even though I went to, like, a private Catholic school, we had, like, really, really, really good sex education like it was actually much more direct than you thought it would be and we had this book that talked about like how sex worked like what sex is I remember seeing the diagrams and being like oh look at that vast difference or whatever it's called what is that it's inside the penis yeah it's like a part of the penis what is what does this vast difference do I think it's like um I want to say it's like a tube it gets sperm out of the urethra And takes it where? Out of the penis. (laughs) (laughs) You are great. You really learned a lot, I can tell. I mean, thanks, Mom and Dad. It's also like, I kind of like don't care how the penis operates. You're like, either it does or it don't. Yeah, either it's hard or it's soft. The end. (laughs) That's it. That is, I know that's so ignorant and disrespectful, but also, like, I don't need to know, like, that there's tubes in the dick and, like, you know, on Wednesdays it really likes, you know, like a soy latte. Like, I don't give a fuck. Oh, I have blue balls. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so I remember, like, seeing the diagrams of everything, but then, so I had this book, and the thing is that because I went to a private school, all of our books for our, like, religion and life and sexuality classes were, like, made by these religious publishers. Okay. And so my book about sex, on the back it said, published by the nuns of Winona. Okay, what? One of the chapters in the book was called Petting is a (laughs) No-No. And it was about how you weren't supposed to, like, go in someone's car and neck. And I was like, I'm 12 years old. I don't know anyone with a car. Also, I don't need people who've never had sex writing a goddamn book about sex. That is insane. What are you going to teach me? What are you going to teach me, dog? 
That's literally that's like me writing a book about long division. Literally, I can't even do long division. <laughs> so you never like had any misunderstandings about sex. I was more like, okay, so I think we had sex ed in, like, middle school, but I can't remember. My brain is literal trash, so I can't remember anything. But I do remember watching the movie Love Jones. You mind if I play something for you? No, not at all. This was probably when I was, like, a tween, and there's, like, so Lorenz Tate and, like, Nia Long's characters, they have sexy sex, and it's, like, really cool because it's all this, like, brown skin, and you're like, whoa. And so I remember, like, watching that and being like, that looks, like, really cool. So then I, like... Uh-oh. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> masturbated to it. I don't know if I did well, but, like, because they were naked in the scene, like, yeah. I thought I had to be completely naked in order to masturbate. <laughs> and then I... So I finished, and I, like, covered myself, like, in my sheets. And, like, I, like, passed out. Like, I fell asleep, and then, like, my parents came home. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> my mom like you were asleep naked <laughs> how old were you i don't know i was like maybe like 13 14 oh my god love <laughs> were you just in the living room no i was like in my bedroom like my door was closing i'm not a ding dong but yeah so i think that was like my first really like intense experience with my bod wow well, never going to think about that movie the same way. <laughs> you know what's funny, Phoebe? What? Everyone loves masturbating. Durr, like if you don't, you're literally insane. You know, I'd love to know more things that everyone loves. Ooh! Do you know? Look at that segue, bitch! <laughs> Do you know where we might be able to hear more about that? You know what? I think I do. It's in this lovely segment that I like to do on this show with my bestie from another pair of testes, Alana Glazer. It's called Across the Aisle, babies. Let's get into it. Across the aisle. <laughs> do, do, do. Across the aisle. Across the aisle. Fair enough. Hey, y'all. This is Alana Glazer, executive producer of So Many White Guys. I'm here with your girl, Phoebe. And our country is so divided right now, so extreme, Mm -hmm. so paradoxical. We are just stuck in extremes, like and unlike and dislike culture. You know, we favorite it or we delete them and block them and report them. We want to do something somewhere in the middle. We want to mm-hmm. meet in the middle and just be chill for once, geez, by figuring out things that we can all agree on, positive things that we all love. And this week, we're looking at YouTube. Oh, my God. It is the best. What were we before YouTube? I literally don't understand how I watched anything before there was a website that was like, hey, did you see this? Unbelievable. Oh, so good. And now I can do it on the toilet. Yeah, it's so great because in the past, if you missed it, you missed it. That's it. Done. Life happened. You weren't there. Can't go back. Nope. You have to pretend like you were there when Thriller oh came out. God. You have to pretend like, yeah, I was old enough to run home. I was so excited. Nah. Do you know how many seasons of 
the real world. I had to fake my way through knowing because I didn't have cable. And to I be c- like a sexy teen. Yeah. You're like, I, was, I love real world. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's so crazy that this person fucked this other person. Yeah, I was like, I love when they have sex on the real world. Yeah. I'm so ready for that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't because I wasn't catching them all yeah. because there was no YouTube. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I watch American Idol clips mm. and I just go, that's how I would have sung that song too. Mm. Love. That's a great feeling. Incredible. So, you know, the next time you get worked up, you're all lathered up, you're all soaped up because some crazy thing happened in politics. Just remember my brother, my sister next door. They're on YouTube just like me right now. Exactly. Watching this being like, what? Or being like, yes. But just remember, before that reaction, y'all had to type in www.youtube.com. You probably just typed in Y and then pressed down and clicked the entire website because we were all on it constantly. Right. See on YouTube, everybody... As much as I love YouTube, not as good as, you know, spinning those ones and twos, making the old meat stick. I don't understand. Spin the one and twos, like DJing your clit. Oh. Wicka, wicka, wicka. And then yanking the meat stick. What are you rocking, clockwise or counterclockwise? Ooh, I think I go clockwise, dog. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it traditional. (laughs) Also, I just want to add that even though I... Ask my host how she masturbates. I'm extremely professional. Thank you. Okay, how do you masturbate? Figure eights all the way. (laughs) Just kidding. guys let's get on with the episode today my guest is a showrunner and a writer on one of the biggest shows in primetime tv she rarely gives interviews so this is something really special okay i'm talking about nanachka khan nanachka has been writing and running the show fresh off the boat since it launched on abc in 2015 and the show just wrapped its third season and each week Eight million people tune in to watch it. Holy shit, that is so many people. That's like if all of New York City just turned on their TVs at the same time on Tuesday night. Wait, is that what happened? Anyway, I am so happy to have Notch. She told me I could call her that in the studio with me. We talked about everything, being the outsider, Asian American representation in the media. And we also talked about our love lives. It was really cute because that's what you came for. Some fierce ass edutainment. And that I will provide. YQY. Welcome to So Many White Guys. Thank you. Um, you guys, I'm speaking with Nanachka Khan, brilliant creator and showrunner of Fresh Off the Boat, one of my favorite shows on TV. You guys just wrapped season three. So thank you so much thank you. for coming into the studio to chat with me because it's not like you don't have work to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. You guys are averaging like what, something like 8 million viewers a week? I think so. Which I don't is know. amazing because TV is so, fr- I feel like it's 
peak TV everyone's been saying that. So to get 8 million people to sit down and agree on one TV show to watch for half an hour <laughs> is, like, amazing. That's a crazy number, too, to yeah. think about. Like, I can't even, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful and happy that everybody's loving it. Yeah. So can you kind of give us a little bit of the backstory and, like, how you got involved in the show? It's based off of Eddie Wang's uh, memoir, also called Fresh Off the Boat, yeah. right? So I had done a show for ABC called Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23. That's uh, me applauding. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and not enough people watch that joke because that was canceled. Yeah. <laughs> so I was really sad and I, you know, I was drunk for like three months. Like yeah. I don't, I didn't, it's a blur. I was just like, okay, I guess I'm going to figure out. So I like picked myself up out mm-hmm. of, you know, my stupor and was like, what do I do next? And I started looking at stuff for my next projects and I had one project that I'd set up at Fox mm-hmm. and I was looking to do a second thing and I met Melvin Marr who is an exec producer on the show and Jake Kasdan who's also an exec producer and they said, have you heard of this memoir? Will you read it? I was like, absolutely, send it to me. I read it in like a night. It was so great. And it was Eddie's story basically Mm -hmm. from like zero to 30, I think he was at the time that it was published. And that was the first thing I thought. I was like, wow, who's this dude writing a memoir? Yeah. He's only 30. (laughs) Um, And it was fascinating. And I loved hearing his story. And there was a section of the book that talks about when his family moved from D.C. to Orlando Mm -hmm. and because his dad wanted to own and operate this Old West Steakhouse. Mm-hmm. And like right there, that just clicked. I'm like, well, that's the TV show. Like yeah. that's where you would set it. You would keep it in the mid-90s, which is when it happened. And so we went in and pitched it. And ABC took me to lunch because my show had just been canceled. Yeah. And so they were like, hey, I hear you're coming out with this other pitch. Here's why you should bring it here. Like we know we just canceled your show. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be like Charlie Brown and you're Lucy with the football. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're like keep pulling it away from me. Every time I keep running up, and they were like, we're committed to all kinds of different families. This is the ABC brand, and it's blah, blah, blah. So it was a great lunch because I was like, okay. So we took it there, and other networks were interested, and we sold it to ABC. And, yeah, that was it. And then the casting was a big issue. You know, we had to find three Asian boys, Mm -hmm. you know, like young. And it was really challenging because there's not a huge— talent pool to pick from, you know, Um, because I think it goes back to the cultural thing where a lot of Asian parents don't, I think up to a certain point they allow their kids and then at a certain point they pull them out Mm -hmm. to focus on other things. So we had like nationwide casting call across the U.S. and Canada and everything like that and Hudson Yang, who plays Eddie, put himself on tape. He lived in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. And, you know, we saw him. He was 10 years old. You know, he played like a bush in a, in a, in a school play. <laughs> like, I don't think he had, he had like little credits. Yeah. And he was just so natural. And so, I mean, obviously really green, but mm-hmm. uh, he just had that sort of swagger that we needed. And Randall Park was the first person we found. We were all huge fans of his from mm-hmm. Veep and all the stuff he's done. And and then we had to find Jessica. And yeah. we were reading people. And, you know, Constance came in and... I was like, she's immediately, you know, you know, it's like when you have people read the words that you wrote on the audition sides, you can either want to kill yourself (laughs) or you're like, I'm, uh, this is amazing. I made the right career choice. You know, it's the same words. It's the actor, you know, and um, yeah, we premiered in uh, February of 2015. Wow. Which has only been like two years. Yeah. And you've accomplished so much. And like you're, when I, you're a showrunner, when I think of showrunner, I think of you and Sean Arange, just badass women. It was true. Thank you. But I don't know quite, like, when I think of short run, I just get tired and I want to take a nap. <laughs> it just seems like you have to just be in charge of literally everything. Yeah. So what's your day-to-day like as a showrunner? Yeah, I mean, you have to sort of oversee 
all the facets of everything. So you need, like, an amazing team, you Mm -hmm. know. So the writing staff is incredible. Our producer is incredible. But you have to go into the writer's room. You supervise the rewrites. You hear the story pitches. Then you go to, like, the production meetings and the concept meetings, and they show you the art department shows you designs and props and casting and everything like that. So it's all kind of coming at you, and you have your team with you to sort of go through it, but it's pretty nonstop. Yeah. Were you um, nervous at all about doing the show just because this was like the first show since Margaret Cho's show back in 1994, All-American Girl, about an Asian-American family? So did you feel this kind of like intense, like, I got to get this show perfect so I don't get criticism? Or like, what was your process going into it? I think that it wasn't so much pressure to get it right. It was just pressure to let's just be true to what we've created. Mm-hmm. Let's tell these family stories through a different lens. You know, because the family sitcom has been around since the beginning of television. Yeah. And for us, it was sort of quietly revolutionary to sort of take those standard stories and just flip it. So now it's through the Wong's lens mm-hmm. as opposed to the white lens. You know, in the white family show, the Wong's would be like the quirky next-door neighbors who yeah. came over like occasionally and were like just there for jokes, where it's like we wanted – our family is the center, we're always looking outwards. And just a simple thing, like in season two, the white neighbors were describing like what NASCAR is. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and if you try to describe NASCAR to people who don't know it, like you sound crazy. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're like, the cars are driving and they just keep going in a circle and they stop for tire changes and, and we're hoping for a car crash. And yeah. you're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so we like that idea of... Yeah investigating things that sort of everybody takes for granted, but then if you see it through an immigrant lens, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So you um, grew up in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. which is amazing, and I've never been there. So what was it like growing up there, and how is it different than being in—I'm sure it's so different from L.A., which is very, like, business and moving and shaking, and Hawaii, I feel like, is much more chill? Super chill. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's mellow. It's a great place to grow up as a Mm -hmm. kid. I think it really helped me, even though I didn't know at the time, to be a showrunner because, like, you can't sweat the small stuff, Mm. you know, and you got to just relax. And it's like, hey, you know what? It's going to get done. We're all trying our best. You don't have that sort of, like, frantic energy there. I loved it. I mean, it was such, there were all different kinds of ethnicities and nationalities, and it was, like, definitely a melting pot. I would definitely recommend it, I think. Cool. What were you like as a kid? I always loved reading, Mm -hmm. so I was always sort of into that. I wrote an article for the school paper, and it was like, they were like, just write whatever you want. It was something dumb about going to the prom or something. I don't know, like whatever my issue was. And I remember the response that it got when it got published, and people were coming up to me like, oh, that was so funny. And like, that was like a light bulb moment for me because I was like, oh, wow, like, you don't have to be in front of people you can sort of take a step back and entertain them in a different mm-hmm. way and let them sort of discover it on their own. I like that sort of delayed reaction. It's, it's very similar to TV, yeah. you know, because you're not in people's homes, but you, like, put it out there. You let them experience it in their own time and they're on their own level and they sort of come back to you and, and you know, appreciate it or not into it, whatever, yeah. you know. Did you used to watch a lot of TV growing up? Because I watched so much TV. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that was everything to me. I, yeah. watched, I remember being little, and one of my favorite shows was Facts of Life. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but I had a crush on Joe. Nice. Uh, yeah, Nancy McKeon, I think, because she wore a tie and she drove a motorcycle. Yeah. 
That's, <laughs> so, a, that's a catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, whatever. But yeah, I watched all sitcoms growing up and. It's funny because, like, people are like, did you feel like you saw yourself ever in, mm-hmm. in TV? And, I mean, absolutely not. It wasn't even a thing that you were looking for. Like, yeah. I wasn't like, God, I wish there was a Persian girl on the on this yeah. show. Like, I think the closest we ever got was Balky from Perfect Strangers. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, who, who was from, like, some nondescript. I don't even yeah. know where he was. I don't think they even said. <laughs> no. But it was like, oh, he's kind of close. And then I remember my parents telling me that, the guy from Flashdance was Persian. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I don't even know if that's real, but I was like, ah, oh, he's, okay, great. Yeah. So you were just, like, looking <laughs> for little pieces. Yeah. But, it, like, later on, like, mm-hmm. you realize that, oh, oh, it matters, yeah. you know, to, to be able to see yourself. And when you don't even think of it as an option, like, it just was something that television was entertaining, but it wasn't, like, I didn't go to it for solace in a yeah. way, which I think people do now. Where it's like, oh, I identify with this person. I identify with their struggle. Mm. So to me, like, that's a huge, you know, leap forward. Yeah. So, okay. So you moved from Hawaii to California? To California. For school? Yes. Where did you end up going to school? USC? I went to USC, yep. That's to, great. For the writing program, film writing, which was awesome, you know, yeah. and that was a culture shock for sure. Yeah. Because we're right, like, in the heart of downtown, you know, mm-hmm. and I remember— getting dropped off. You know, my family couldn't afford to all come. You know, so it was me. Yeah. And I'm like 17. And I remember walking outside of the campus and like you walk, at the time you walked like two blocks in either direction. And then all, it all started to become Spanish. Like every store. Mm. And so I was like, what's carniceria? Yeah. You know? And, like, <laughs> and yeah. it was, it was pretty interesting. I'd never experienced anything like that before. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my mom being like, aren't you homesick? I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no offense to you yeah. and dad. I'm, you know, good luck to you guys, but no, I'm good. And, you know, there's a big Persian community in, mm-hmm. in L.A. and I had a lot of family out here. So I also had that, you know, I had my aunts and my uncles and my cousins. So Yeah. Since you have like such a strong tie to your culture, like how do you infuse that in your show and make that kind of like a centerpiece? I mean, for us, for me and the writers, you know, mm-hmm. It's that immigrant experience of being, you know, a lot of us are first generation. Our Mm -hmm. parents were not born here and sort of acting as that bridge generation between your home life, which is sort of old school and almost like a throwback to the past. And then when you go out the front door and you go into your, like, life of your friends and school and everything, you spend a lot of time sort of translating back and forth, you know, explaining to your parents why you need the new Jordans. Yeah. Like, why why one, you know, why it's absolutely necessary— and then explaining to your friends, like, what Persian New Year is and, you know, what— Wait, there's Persian New Year? Yeah. yeah. When is that? It's in March. Cool. And what, what do you guys do to celebrate? You just sort of have, like, a little kind of shrine in your house for good luck. So you have this sort of—it looks like grass, and you tie, like, a ribbon around it, and you've got, like, oranges, and you can buy goldfish and stuff. It's supposed to be good luck. Yeah. And you put it by the front door. You have a little mirror— so it's uh, sort of to welcome, you know, good fortune and everything oh, like that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so, like, you know, you would come home and your friends would be like, why is there a goldfish by the front door? <laughs> and, like, a, a grass with a ribbon. <laughs> like, well, it's Persian New Year. Yeah. Um, you know, so you spend a lot of time doing that. And so that's what we wanted to communicate with, with this show is mm-hmm. sort of that experience of having one foot in two worlds. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, like, whether it's from India or Iran or Taiwan or China, like, everybody feels—a lot of people feel like, okay, you know, I'm American, but I'm also this, you know, yeah. or I'm Iranian-American, you mm-hmm. know, and the family is Taiwanese-American. So it's a difference. 
And I think, like, that's what's cool to us, and that's what I feel like we'd like to explore in the show. Yeah. So you mentioned um, just, like, different people being involved in your staff. Is it pretty diverse, I feel like? I know Ali Wong is in there, who's one of my favorite Yes, how great is she? She's amazing. I love her so much. Yeah. So what was the process like? Because I know in Atlanta, Donald Glover made a point to hire all black writers. Mm -hmm. And I know, like, I know I have friends, like, especially, like, women who are, like, trying to get writing jobs, and it's always like, oh, we like you, but you don't have enough experience. Right. So, like, what... did you look for in a diverse writing staff? For me, it's like first and foremost, they have to be great writers, mm-hmm. but the majority of writers who are available are white guys. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. It has to be on the page for me. It, the script has to be there. And then when you meet with them, it's like, do you want to spend 14 hours a day with this person? Yeah. And what does this person have to say? And there's so many great writers that I feel when you're coming up, your whole goal is to write in your showrunner's voice. Mm -hmm. And if all your showrunners, like before I got my own show, I only worked for white guys. They were Mm. the only showrunners. So if that's the voice you're trying to emulate, you sort of have to shed the thing that makes you unique to sort of fit in with what they want. Yeah. But if you can hang on to a little piece of it, like while you're doing that and when you're working on your own stuff, that's the thing that I think sets you apart ultimately. You know, it's that thing where you got to do the work, you got to do the work to work up. Mm-hmm. And then once you get there, it's almost like you can break out and say, okay, now here's how I want to tell stories. Yeah. And here's, you know, the way I want people to tell stories on my show. And it just happened. So I got, I mean, we have more than half women. And this is a network comedy. So yeah. that's like very rare still. Yeah. It's more common now than it was. And we have, like, me, we have Korean-American, we have Ali, we have Indian-American, we have Taiwanese-American, you know, we have gay people on staff. Like, I want that because, for me, it was important to get a group of outsiders. Like, Mm -hmm. if you've ever felt like an outsider, this is the show for you, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Could be sexuality, could be religion, could be ethnicity, could be the music you listen to, could be that you didn't have money growing up, and being able to channel that into stories, you know, because that was— I think, what was at the core of of what we were trying to get at. Yeah. Cool. So how would you describe, like, what your voice is? Oh, man. I mean, I think it's kind of eclectic, you know, like women behaving badly and not apologizing. That's something that speaks to me. I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Because I was just joking with my my manager the other day. I'm really trying to work on not— saying sorry. Yeah. I say it so often and I never really realized it. And then I was like, I need to stop doing that. (laughs) I know. And it's just inherent. It's easier for some reason for women to apologize just on a small level of like, oh, sorry, sorry or whatever. And then on a bigger level of like, oh, sorry, but I want to tell a story this way. It's like, we don't have to say sorry. Mm -hmm. Like, it's okay. There's a thousand ways to tell a story and we just have to pick one. Yeah. Have you always been this confident and just, like, so sure of yourself? It's just, like, so cool. I love it. Oh, man. Thank you. I don't—I think it's just wanting to do something that I find interesting. You know, Mm -hmm. I would rather—listen, I get that it's a business and we're all here to make—you know, listen, we all like money and all that stuff. But, like, (laughs) for me, it's more compelling to tell stories that I haven't seen before that aren't boring Mm -hmm. as opposed to— my goal is not to get a show in syndication and make a ton of money. Right. You know, my show was canceled. Apartment 23 was canceled. So yeah. I'm not saying it's going to work, whatever the level of success that's required, but I'm proud of that show. Mm-hmm. And I would do that show a thousand times again 
than to do some show that my heart wasn't in. Yeah. Do you have any time to date? Because, like, I don't. I travel all the time, so it's been really tough. Well, luckily I have a girlfriend who is amazing. Yes. Yes. She is fantastic. Julia. Hi, Julia. Hi, Julia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And thank God for her because I would never – I don't have time. Like, I would never see her. We live together Mm -hmm. and – um, so I can come home, and she's there. We have a dog that we got last year, and Aww. it's like a little family. Yeah, you know, and that to me is really relaxing. Um, how long have you guys been together? How did you meet? We will be to get in April. Will be three years. Yes, and we met through work. I was doing a rewrite on a movie for mm-hmm. this producer, and Julia was her assistant. So I came for a meeting, and she and I just were, like, chatting and whatever. And then we started emailing and, like, hanging out and just as friends. And then, yeah, then we started dating, like, you know, eight months after that. Oh, I love that. That's so heartwarming. She's so great. She's from New York. She went to NYU. Cool. So you and Julia have been together for a while. So when when did you know that you were were gay? In retrospect, I think I always sort of knew. But I was so unaware. Like, I don't know. I was sort of just trying to— I was very focused on, like, outward stuff of, like, what do I want to do and what do I want to, you know, that it took me a little while to sort of look inward, I guess. Mm-hmm. But right after college, I mean, I graduated, I was 20 years old, and I remember just feeling like, like, this is it. Everybody was like, oh, like, guys and boys and everything. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, mm. And then pretty soon after, I met the woman who became my first girlfriend and that was, again, just, like, a light went on oh, for me, wow. you know, like, the, that idea of, like, the butterflies in the stomach and all that stuff. Because I didn't really—I liked guys fine, but I wasn't like, here comes Bobby, you yeah. know, like, oh, my God, is he going to like me? Like, never. Yeah. And then when I met my first girlfriend, I was like, oh, well, here it is. Oh, this is what awesome. it was. Yeah. And all the, I was like, what was I doing for 20 years? You yeah. know, like, why didn't I see this sooner? Yeah. Did you have, like, a good support system when you came out, or, like, how was that? Yeah, you know, my brother was great. Mm-hmm. That was the order. I told my brother first, then told my mom. She was supportive. Yeah. And then my dad was the last one. She, my mom told my dad. Oh, okay. And it took him a little while to, you yeah. know— get into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but everything's good now. Everything's good now. That's great. Yeah. 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 Um, so earlier we talked a lot about being like an outsider and you said you want your show to feel like it relates to anyone who's an outsider. Mm-hmm. Like how have you felt like an outsider in your own life and like how have you dealt with that? I think for me there's been like it's almost like three levels of mm-hmm. deciding you want to be a comedy writer. You're a woman. Mm-hmm. I'm Iranian. And I'm gay. Yeah. So there's like three things there uh, that pretty much puts you on the outside. And it's almost like you embrace those things. You go quite a ways wanting to fit in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's what, you know, when you're, especially when you're a kid, you want to be like everybody else. You don't want to stand out for any reason. And then as you move along, it's like if you just embrace those things that, you hated initially about yourself or that you wanted to minimize and just say, like, you know what, like, I'm the only person that has had my experience and you just have to go with it. I think that's when you really sort of, you embrace the outsider status. You're never going to be an insider in the way that, like, I don't know what it's like for white straight men in the world. Like, I have no idea. But, you know, I know what it's like for me and I know, you know, what I look for and the things that I respond to. And so I'm sort of like an outsider being in the inside yeah. of the industry. When I first started stand-up, I was like, okay, I have to, like, 
kind of dressed like a man, so I wore like a lot of like vests and jeans, and That's like right. I kept my hair like short, and like there was just, I just felt like I had to feel like one of the guys right. so I could be accepted, and then like slowly over time I realized. I can be myself and also be funny. So, like, right. when you were going into these writing room spaces where you were the only woman, the only mm-hmm. person of color, the only queer person, were you just kind of feeling like, ah, I got to try and fit in? Or were you just kind of like, fuck it, I'm just going to do me? I mean, you get to that fuck it point, mm-hmm. you know. But at the beginning, again, you know, you're a staff writer, your story, you know, you're low level. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to write in their voice, you yeah. know. And oftentimes their voice is... A white guy's voice. Yeah. Uh, well, we gotta gotta wrap up soon. But this was uh, so delightful. This has been really pleasant. I want to ask you because you see, I don't know you that well. It's my first time meeting you, but you have like such a light of positivity oh, about you. you, which I really enjoy. Can you give me and everyone listening a little something that we can hold on as hope, like a little nugget <laughs> of something? Oh man, I guess I would just say that. I feel like it's easy to be afraid, you know, mm-hmm. especially with everything you read and this feels like something new is coming at you every every minute. But I would say that instead of being afraid to sort of hold on to that that idea of strength and knowing that we're going to get through this and we're going to sort of rise above this in a way and we're going to come together and just, you know, that that you can be knocked down but you're not going to be knocked out. And I think that like for me it's like I would choose that over fear. Because mm-hmm. fear is a choice. It's like I can choose to be afraid or I can choose to be like I'm not going to be knocked out by this. Yeah. I mean I've never read the news this much. Oh, my God. <laughs> like every hour mm-hmm. I'm like what what happened? What's new? Yeah. What's happening? Do you have the New York Times like alerts? I get those. Yeah. And I'm like I might have to unsubscribe. Exactly. Yeah. Like what's this line <laughs> we have to learn to walk? Yeah. I'm like we have to exist in the – you know what I mean? We have stuff to do. Yeah. So you can't sort of shut down. The yeah. Point, you know, but I don't know. It's crazy. So this is kind of a crazy time. Um, most recently, there's been Trump's uh, executive immigration order, and uh, your family's from Iran. They're one of the seven countries on the list. And so if this was a different time period, you guys wouldn't be here. So what do you make of this atmosphere right now that's happening? It's it's so complicated. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> there's so many people— are here. They've been here for generations. You know, like you say, my parents came over. My brother and I were born here. Mm-hmm. My mom became a, a U.S. citizen in like 2000. Wow, um, my amazing. dad still isn't, you know. And the weirdest part, too, is they're Republicans, like my parents. Oh. A lot of immigrants are Repu- are very conservative, you know. Why do you think that is? I hear that a lot, and I, I don't quite understand I think that it's, reasoning. I mean, well— I think first and foremost, a lot of it has to do with like financial reasons. Mm, mm-hmm. Like to them, like that's the mo- that's a version of security. Like probably the most, yeah. you know, high, especially because a lot of families came over with not a lot, you know, if anything. So the idea that they built this up and they have this, you know, they really are conservative and they they feel like this is their security blanket. Um, that's the first thing, and then the second thing is I really do think because I've been trying to. I've been trying to analyze, like, mm-hmm. why, you know, especially, like, this whole election feels so different from anything that's come before. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm finding that I'm, like, judging my parents in a way that I never—before, I'm yeah. like, hey, that's you. You mm-hmm. have your thing. I'm, that's not me. Whatever. Like, live and let live. I can't really seem to, to do that with this sort of uh, yeah. election. So I think that it really is—there's a mentality of, like, it's us 
not them, you know, uh. where where except for now, like when there's literally seven countries and your country's on there, like you can't be like, oh, that's he's not talking about us. Right. Like right. he's clearly talking about you guys. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's crazy for me. It's like you just got to keep moving. Yeah. We got to keep going. I like that. Cool. Well, that's, that's really good. It's like, yeah, we could all do that every day and make that choice. Yeah, yeah. we make that choice. Yeah. It's like I'm not going to give in to this fear. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be aware of it. I'm going to acknowledge it. But then I'm going to choose something else. Awesome. Well, thank you. Can thank I call you, you Notch? Yes, please do. Thank you so much, Notch. Oh, my God. It's such a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Yay. Thanks. Okay, bye. 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 Joni Mitch. Let's get a drink. Yes. Will you be my wingman? I will be your wing woman. And yeah, I will. So just read those dang credits and we'll get out of here. You got it. The So Many White Guys team includes Rachel Neal, Jana Solitaroff, Jen Poyant, Paula Schumann, Isaac Jones, Jeremy Bloom, and Joe Plord. Our theme song was written by a white dude and sung by a bunch of other white dudes. Head on over to the WNYC Studios Facebook page to see video of me and Anachka Khan realizing that we're true soul sisters. Hey, soul sister. And don't forget that you can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dope Queen Phoebes. Y-Q-Y-E. Oh, and hey, it's me, Joanna, a.k.a. Joni Mitch, a.k.a. The White Robin Quivers. Is it ringing a bell? Anyway, I want you to listen with me to one of our favorite So Many White Guys episodes from last season. So join us. We're going to Facebook stream an episode and have a party in the comments. That's all of our So Many White Guys fans listening together, chatting. You'll get a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes to make the show with me as your host. So jump onto the WNYC Studios Facebook page Thursday, March 2nd at 3 p.m. Eastern. See you there. Bye. Um, are you getting text messages during this conversation, Joan? Um, are you getting dick pics? My, you know, my little cousin just texted me. Oh, that's cute. Tell him I say, hey, boo-boo. I will, and I'll just forget that you said anything else. <laughs>